Thank you, worship team, and good morning. Good morning. Well, take your Bibles as we uh, begin the last chapter of this important book of 1 Corinthians. If you're looking in your bulletin, the page number is wrong. I put it down wrong. <clears throat> it should be page 934. Most of us have experienced the evolution of Black Friday. At first it was just these uh, special deals that you had to be there really early for, so you set your alarm at whatever, four o'clock, some of you did probably, and some people camped out because you're going to score this great price on a, on a new TV. Well, then the next thing you know, it's, it's Thanksgiving evening, and then all day Thanksgiving, and now it's kind of like uh, whenever. Um, some point, Cyber Monday came along just to make sure that you definitely had all the latest upgraded electronics. Almost get the idea that they just want our money. But, um, but then, it's kind of interesting, they added something, Giving Tuesday. And I had to smile because it's like, when you spent all your extra money on all the things you want, let's give, you know, like clean out the couch cushions or something to, to give, which is exactly the opposite of God's ideal going way back to the Old Testament, where he said, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your wealth. So uh, the farmer's first cut is supposed to go to the Lord and then trusting God that you can get back in the field to get the rest. Well, as we come to 1 Corinthians 16, Paul addresses the issue of giving, and he really basically has, it's like the New Testament version of God's plan for financial generosity. Uh, Paul has gone through a series of very blunt, direct uh, subjects throughout this book, and this is very, a very brief statement about financial generosity, and it's like for the final time, if you look at the first words of chapter 16, verse 1, he says, now about. That's been his way to introduce a new subject, a new subject, a new problem, a new question that we have to handle in this, in this kind of immature church of Corinth. So now about, he says, what? The collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Evidently, somebody had asked about giving or he knew they, they needed to, to learn giving, but he says basically develop a plan to give consistently, and he means Financially, I think there's a deeper principle, though, and that is basically this, that financial generosity is basic to spiritual maturity. Kind of interesting where we find it in the book because, you know, he, he's just wrapped up this crucial uh, chapter 15, the doctrine of the resurrection of our body and the rapture and the coming of Christ. This is, and then he, he closes that chapter, look at the previous verse, with saying, so here's the application. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So realizing that we only have from, from today until our appointment with death or else God has scheduled the rapture, 
Knowing that our time is brief here on this earth, make sure that you invest your life in that which will matter forever. And you're kind of like, so how do you do that? He says, well, I'm gathering, gathering a collection for, for helping uh, those who need it in, in Jerusalem. Uh, there, there was an ongoing financial crisis in the home church, the, the, the place where Christianity began, where Christ died and rose and where, where the Holy Spirit came. There was an ongoing financial crisis in Jerusalem among the believers, really from the beginning. And it seems like it's almost like a two decades worth of, of concern for the poor, the believers in Jerusalem. And sprinkled throughout the, the New Testament letters in that whole New Testament era, a uh, couple of decades, you find this, this collection being gathered for the needy believers in Jerusalem. Well, how did that, how did that happen? Well, it, it could have indeed started with the persecution they experienced. The opening uh, early chapters of Acts 7, 8, 9, you find you know, Stephen is, is martyred and Paul is involved in that until he, 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 gets, he gets saved. And, and so there's persecution, and then the gospel goes out to Samaria and Antioch and the uttermost. Oh, almost like God planned this. Coupled with that, you can imagine that maybe the Jewish, Jewish people were, that, that were believers uh, were ostracized, or maybe they boycotted their shops or something. But now add on top of that, there was also a famine that God allowed that really seemed to persist intermittently in Judea for 10, 15 years of these crucial years. And so we find these, these references in the New Testament about the, the financial need in Jerusalem. So let's just, let's just get a little bit of a geography uh, view of this. So the letter here is written to Corinth, uh, where Paul had planted the church. And it's, a, it's an offering of money supposed to go to the home church in, in Jerusalem. And he already has said in verse 1, he says, I already told the Galatian churches uh, about this. But it really goes back to the first time we see mention of a famine coming, that, it, that money would be needed in Jerusalem, it was in Antioch. When the gospel got to Antioch, Acts 11 describes that, he begins to tell them about the financial need. Uh, it comes because of a, um, this is really A.D. 41 probably, and so in Acts 11 we find this, Agabus stood up and through the Spirit he predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world uh, this, this famine was, this happened during the reign of Claudius, that was a Roman emperor. The disciples, that's the Christians in, in, in that new church of Antioch, each one, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea, that's Jerusalem. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So this was like the, the beginning of that need. But things got worse and worse, and so that even later when Paul is uh, <clears throat> writing to the Galatians, he describes a conversation he had with the apostles, because so, some of the main apostles stayed in Jerusalem, even though others were fleeing because of persecution. James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, recognized the grace given to me, and they agreed that we, that's Paul and Silas, should go to the Gentiles, and they, to the circumcised Jews, they would stay and work with the, you know, there were three to 5,000 believers in, in, in Jerusalem originally. All they asked is that we would continue to what? Remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So, so they, there was an agreement that, Paul, I know you're called to, to reach the Gentile areas, and, and we're the apostles, we're going to keep reaching the Jews in this area, but remember, we've got a lot of financial needs here. 
in Jerusalem. Well, if you continue looking in the, uh, in the scriptures, we come to our passage, and, and he says, so this is like 15, 14, 15 years later, set aside a sum of money for your gift to Jerusalem, verse 2. So this is all these years, and there's still a need in Jerusalem. Well, other parts of the world also, it turns out, hear about this, and Paul's going to mention how the Macedonian churches are involved. That's like <laughs> Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. He writes to the Romans uh, about it. So just reading on some of these passages, he says to, in 2 Corinthians that the Macedonians urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people or to the Romans, he wrote, uh, for Macedonia and Achaia, that's the area where Corinth is, uh, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. Why? And we'll come back to this. For the, if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, what's that? Christ came from the Jewish people. That's how the, that's how the Gentiles would know the gospel. They owe it to the Jews to share with them in material blessings. So now you've got Jews who are receiving money from the Gentile churches, the, the, the newer ones, right? And so some years later, Paul could report when he's defending himself before Felix, the governor, how after an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. And so all these areas were able to uh, be involved in this offering. So this isn't just like a one-time thing. This is an ongoing need. And I think a legitimate question to ask is, why did God in these early days of the church allow that the Jerusalem church would be going through such tough financial times? Question that anybody has if you're going through financial times, right? Why would God allow them to go through this hard time for what, 10, 15 years at least? Seems like there's a couple of key issues. The financial need of believers in Jerusalem gave opportunity for the other churches to learn generosity, for one thing. God is teaching generosity. There's, there's a transformation of heart that takes place when we learn generosity. And in the same way, at, in the same events, he was able to bond the Jew and the Gentile churches to one another because, of course, it's mostly a Jewish church in Jerusalem, but there's so many Gentiles, more of a Gentile church in most of these other areas. Um, there, in some ways, there wasn't all that much to give to if you're in some of these newer church plants. Yes, they would have had financial needs in their own body, uh, as we can too. And, and yes, there would be some support for, for Paul when he came by. But uh, really, it wasn't even until about a decade after Corinthians and so forth when Paul says, and you should be paying your pastors, those who work full-time in ministry. So they didn't have buildings to buy or rent to pay or utilities. They didn't have all the technology to, to, to buy, to be able to have church, and they didn't have uh, uh, to pay for salt on the, on the parking lots or, or Sunday school curriculum, uh, let alone the full-time salaries or a missions budget. So in some ways, they needed a place to give. But here's what I think the Corinthian church and Open Door have in common, and that is that financial giving is a necessary step of spiritual maturity. It's a necessary step, and, and, and Paul didn't want them to miss out. God didn't want them to miss out. 
So when he had said, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, verse 58 of the previous chapter, he says, let's start by, by giving because God knows that we need to learn generosity. There is something about that important piece of our financial personal security, right? We, we put so much confidence, it seems, into can we get enough money? Do I have enough money? So it's kind of like God is saying, you know, this, this area of life that, that, that he designed, that we would need money, it is so precious to you. It's so important to you. This is like the best place in the world for you to learn crucial principles of letting go and, and, and giving, trusting when you sacrifice and give to others. And so that learning process is, is there spiritually, but also it's the, the, the bonding that would take place in that day between Jew and Gentile. So we have this statement that the Gentiles have shared in the Jews spiritual blessings. They owe it to the Jews to share with them in the material blessings. Because you see, the Jews and the Gentiles, they really struggled to get along. Jews had a hard time accepting Gentiles, and Gentiles probably sometimes wondered, Gentile Christians wondered, what is it with these Jews and all the things that they're, they're hung up on? So giving began to connect them, because giving to somebody always connects you, giver and receiver. When you give to someone to help them in some way, even Christmas gifts, if you're, if you're giving... You are somehow relationally connecting. You're invested in them. You've, you gave them something. And, and if you have received from someone, you've realized that somebody cares about me, has given me this, this, this attention by, by meeting a need, and it, it forces a connection and a special bond. And, and then there's this whole other vertical side of giving that as we're giving to, to, to things about God's kingdom, then it bonds us to God and, and his purposes as well. We like to say around here, everything is spiritual. Well, money especially, you could say, is one of those tangible things that is every bit spiritual. When you, when you need money, you're desperate for money, and you begin to pray, God, please supply for, for us. And he supplies. You see how that you become that receiver? And, and when, you, when you give sacrificially, choosing to have less, it's like, God, it's, it's like, because I trust you. I trust you that, I could, that I could, I'm okay with less. And, and, and when we spend money, there's these spiritual opportunities to, 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 to think about this. Are, 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 am I spending this money as a blessing that God is providing for me? Am I spending this money and I'm actually straying from God's will uh, for me? So we have those kind of decisions. And when we, when we um, save or invest, there's this wisdom principle of self-control and, and, and thinking long. There are so many spiritual lessons that God uses money for in our life. It's certainly spiritual. And, and it seems like always in Scripture we find that the first step is to say, I'm going to give a portion away. I'm going to give a portion away because it's contradictory to every selfish inclination we have. And in fact, it's yet one more place where the Holy Spirit does exactly the opposite in our heart than our selfish, sinful nature. Even then, we have to be careful that sometimes giving can become selfish. How can giving become selfish? If we are giving to feel good about ourselves, if we are, if we are giving for recognition, do you see how suddenly it's like we're, we're paying for an ego boost? It's more of a, more of a trade. But, but, but when we give in private before God, it's where that 
spiritual muscle of worship and trust can, can begin to grow. So, so Paul is thinking of this big picture need as he writes these two simple verses to the Corinthians that say, you really need, you're an immature church, you're struggling with this and this and this, but here's something you really need to do. You need to exercise this, 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 this worship, this trust by giving to this need. So it begins with a plan, folks, he says. Paul's going to arrive at uh, Corinth, where he's writing. He's writing from Ephesus to Corinth. He's going to arrive there uh, some months later, probably the same year, uh, winter, we'll see, according to verse 6. And, and when and Paul gets there, he wants to be able to take this offering then to Jerusalem, but he doesn't want to just spring it on them. He doesn't want to, like, um, you know, get there and the first thing, hey, guys, we really need to get some money for Jerusalem. So he says, why don't, why don't you prepare and plan? So, so do it this way. On the first day of every week, verse 2, this is the first day of the week uh, in Jewish calendar. This Sunday is the, the beginning of the week. It's the first day. It's the day in which Christ arose. The Jews, of course, had been worshiping on Sabbath, the seventh day. Uh, but but there's, there's this switch as they begin to worship, teach, and take the Lord's Supper on the first day of, of the week. And so Paul says, on this, on this regular basis, put together a sum of money. Uh, now, Actually, the word money, it just literally, it's set aside something and store it up. And it's a little bit vague. We don't know. It's obviously referring to money, but set something aside and store it up. We don't know if they, they brought it as an offering, like our offering boxes or, or whatever you do. But or was they bringing it to the church gathering that somebody was keeping it there? Or was it just simply that individuals were to gather something up and, and put it aside? I almost said piggy bank, but that wouldn't be a very Jewish thing to say. So, but... Um, <laughs> But, but, but that they, they would keep it together, and, and then it'd be ready to give. Uh, why weekly? Well, they came to worship weekly, and this is worship. Now, I think the larger principle is simply that there's a regular plan of some kind, and if it's based more on when, when you get paid, and whether it's business or your regular paycheck, I don't think that matters, but something regular, because your, your system uh, is your decision, but if it's not regular, not planned, it usually doesn't get done. We basically, in our human nature, do what we schedule to do. That's, that's the way things get done. I don't know if you ever run into an acquaintance someplace and said, ah, oh, we should get together sometime. What you really mean is, we'll probably never get together, but it sure feels good to pretend we're better friends than we are, or something like that. <laughs> uh, you do what you schedule. If you exercise just when you feel like it, if you, if you read God's Word just when you feel like it, or when you save away money for retirement just when you feel like it, it those kind of things just don't happen. So he says, schedule it. Schedule it. On the first day of e every week, each one should set aside this, this money. So what's your schedule for, for giving? Have you individually, uh, as a couple, figured out what is your, what is your schedule? Uh, I know many of you have... Uh, regularly, obviously, through the decades given to uh, Open Door Bible Church to, to meet the, the opportunities and the needs we have here. Um, and please understand, this sermon is not motivated by any uh, particular great need of the church. This sermon is motivated because chapter 16 comes after chapter 15, basically. Uh, and, and of course, God knows that, that we need to give. How much? A sum of money in keeping with his income. 
Uh, again, actually the word income is not literally there. It's as some of your translations, as he may prosper. Uh, I mean, slaves or servants didn't even have an income, but they would have something. So, so as God has prospered, some, based on what you have or based on, on what you earn, some proportionate, right? What proportion? Isn't there a rule about this? Well, there was in the Old Testament era. There's a somewhat, to us, complicated system of tithes, and a tithe means 10%, and so there is a requirement of the law, 10% here, and then every third year there was a different tithe, and, and different ways that people have tried to figure out exactly how much the law said they had to give, but those laws are not repeated, those rules are not in the New Testament, because we have turned the page to a new, we saw last week, a new dispensation, the dispensation of the church, in which we operate more by principles than by by laws. And in fact, we can do that because now we have the Holy Spirit living within us to guide us to apply personally the decisions that the Holy Spirit prompts us to do. And so giving becomes really a, a thing of the heart that God is guiding you, but there are still these two key principles of regular, proportionate, regular, and portionate, proportionate, two key words. I'd like us to look briefly, I'll put, it, I'll put some verses on the screen, there's more of them in your, in your, in your outline, but uh, three other principles that Paul communicated to the Corinthian church in his second letter later that year, okay? And it's kind of fascinating to realize that in 1 Corinthians 16, he only gives two brief verses to describe the offering. When he has to follow up on that letter with 2 Corinthians, he invests two whole chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, those two whole chapters are a follow-up to the two verses that he has here. It's almost like it, it kind of, you know, raised some eyebrows or raised some questions, and he says, let me explain this a little bit better. And he gives more additional principles that really help them to focus their heart in giving on Jesus Christ. And the three principles are to give sacrificially, to give willingly, and then to give grace motivated. That's, that's the foundation of it. So let's take a look at those, at least the Corinthian, second Corinthian passages. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial that is of their own. Maybe the famine had reached that area. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. I'm not sure exactly how you do that, but that's why it's a grace. So, so the, the more impoverished believers in Macedonia heard about the offering and said, well, don't leave us out. We want to give also. And that uh, can be really surprising to us. How, how can you give? when you, Giving evidently is not a thing of, of a wealth or extra. Uh, my friend Brian Kluth, uh, he's the president of Maximum Generosity, some of you remember many years ago he spoke here, but he tells us a story about um, meeting Pablito, a, a generous, godly believer in Manila, Philippines, who lives in a shack by the garbage dump of Manila, along with thousands of other people who live there and, and, and subsist there. And Pablito told Brian with gratitude how God had provided him with the eyeglasses he was wearing, the pants and the belt that he was wearing through the garbage of, of others. And he told him, he said, I earn about $10 a month, but I give half of it away to help the poor and needy. 
And it's like, ah, oh. sounds like the Macedonians. Sacrificial giving comes from willing giving. So just continuing on in that same verse, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service for the Lord's people. There was this, God had done something in their hearts, right? Next chapter, each of you should therefore give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So sacrificial giving is essentially willing giving. So it's, it, it can't be duty or guilt or pressure by others. So, so what would do this transformation of the heart that would go against everything of our, of our American culture and human nature, right? To just get and, and gather. Well, he drops into this passage, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the doctrinal foundation motive for all this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Are you following that? So, though Christ was rich, as in he owned the universe that he created, he became poor, came to live and be a human being here with us, that you through his poverty there's nothing more impoverished than going to the cross, might become rich. What kind of rich? Spiritually rich in the heavenly places, the free gift of eternal life to live forever in the glories of heaven. So he says, he says grace is what is motivating giving. This, this is the core doctrine. Grace drives generosity. Jesus gave to us. We give as worship in response to him. Financial giving is, is not ultimately fundraising, though we always give to a need. I mean, we don't just throw money up in the air. Actually, somebody once joked that their giving method was, I throw all my money up into the air and God can keep anything he wants and the rest is for me. <laughs> but uh, no, money meets tangible needs, but he says, I want to dig down further to look at the, the motive it's saying thank you to Christ for what he gave to us. So that tells us that giving is a, a believer activity. There's all kinds of you know, goodwill of, of, of people sharing what they can to help. There's a lot of generosity, I think, as part of God's common grace throughout the world that, that are helping a lot of people, but there's something very distinctive about believers who are responding to what Christ gave to them, worship that is marked by gratitude. So the question for us is, what is motivating your giving? That's the more important question. Guilt or duty? Pressure of others? Pride? Uh, no, God loves a cheerful giver, not reluctantly, but God working in us. So if, 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 if financial giving is kind of a new spiritual practice for you, or if you just need a review, I'd really encourage you to uh, read through all of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Uh, read it, underline it, take notes. If you're married, talk about it, and, and, and just see where God uh, directs you. As we come back to chapter 16 and the plan, uh, so he says, I, you, you, you've got this money gathered, what are you going to do with it? There's another responsibility, and that is, that it must be handled accountably. When I arrive, verse 3, I will give 
letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable for me to go also, they can accompany me. So he says there's an accountability that we're responsible for as givers, I think, to make sure that the money is handled well on, on, on where we're giving it and where it eventually ends up. So the, you Corinthians, you need to... to you're going to have all this, all this gold and silver is going to be gathered and put together for this gift. You need to send that with people you know and trust from, from yourselves, right? So there's accountability on this end. And then you're going to need some letters of introduction because it's supposed to arrive across many, many miles and shipping it and all that. So, so you need to know that when you get to Jerusalem and they see you with your mules and they're, they're, they're loaded down or carts or whatever, that, that you know it's going to the right place and some guy says, yeah, I'll handle it. You know, <laughs> We are responsible for knowing where our money is going and if it's handled well. Um, so a tearjerker need on an email from Nigeria might not be the best place to uh, give your credit card info. If it seems advisable... I'll go with, basically. So uh, it seems like Paul preferred not to, to go. Maybe it didn't fit his plans at that point, and we find later on that his plans had changed on this uh, missionary journey. Um, maybe he just uh, preferred to stay out of the process. I don't, I don't know. But uh, it turns out he actually did go. He actually did go. Some plans were changing, and, and it says in... Uh, whoops. He writes to the Romans later on, now, now, however, I am on the way to Jerusalem for Macedonia and Achaia, that's Corinth, so they did give, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. So he said, I'm, I'm going to go along, and so he could report to Felix that he says, uh, I came to Jerusalem with these gifts for the poor, and so that became uh, the outcome of, of this logistical uh, challenge. So when you give to a church or to a missionary or to an organization or a, hopefully maybe a gospel-centered humanitarian effort, you've got to make sure it's to the best of our ability, how's it being handled? At Open Door, we're, we're always seeking to do, accomplish two things, both be accountable and transparent while maintaining privacy of, of, of givers. So Essentially, there's, there's two trusted people who count offerings on a weekly basis to ensure accuracy. And then our office manager and church treasurer are the ones that have uh, access to the full uh, giving information. Somebody has to know. And uh, the pastors, by the way, we never see financial gifts or, or know the giving records. Uh, just another layer is that there's an audit team that that uh, looks over all the accounting issues uh, on a quarterly basis. But it's too important to do it shoddy. Uh, there have been so many scandals in the Christian world among leaders and organizations, often their immorality, but if second place would probably be financial corruption uh, or, or something like that. Gospel's too important to, to, to swing and miss on that. So Paul, as he comes to this, to, towards the end of this rather long letter, he has this very practical application. Corinthians, you need to learn to give. In fact, I've kind of wondered if maybe Gentiles especially needed to learn because the Jewish Christians, they come from a whole, whole system of, of historically knowing the Old Testament passages. They know about the tithe and they, got all, they need to be kind of freed from their legalism to say, you know, you can actually make your own decisions of, of how you give now by the Spirit of God. But, but 
they at least had that history of, of honoring the Lord with the first fruits and so forth. But, but the Gentile Christians, maybe this is a brand new concept. Seriously, that's what you do? And so, so Paul is doing that. In the process, God's accomplishing this thing where they're, the Jews and are receiving from, from the Gentiles, just like the Gentiles had received spiritually from the Jews. And God is putting this all together. God has an amazing plan for every detail of your life. All the little practical things, there is no small thing. Everything is spiritual. So, of course, this most important piece of the economy of life financially is part of what God is doing in us and for us. Well, Paul goes on eventually now, essentially now, starting in verse 5 to the end, it's more like details of itinerary, but actually the very next thing does also address the issue of generosity because he's about to arrive and he's going to need their generosity. Verse 5, after I go through Macedonia, up and over the GNC, I will come to you for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you there if the Lord permits. Uh, and then he goes on to say, but he'll stay in Ephesus uh, for, a, for a time. So I'm coming to see you. Stay a while. Maybe all winter. Some of you hosted Thanksgiving, right? So that's a big job. If it's your house and your stuff and your organization, it, hosting is a is a big thing. And maybe as you think towards Christmas, there'll be a dinner or two that you've got to, you know, oversee and understand all the, de- you know, the food's going to be hot at the right, all that kind of thing. Or it could even be that as Christmas comes, you, you've got some out-of-town guests coming. They're going to be staying for, for the weekend, and that brings a lot of, lot of work, right? And it's a huge blessing to have them until it isn't. But what if, verse 6, what if you got verse 6 as a text on your phone? Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter. <laughs> You're looking for, you know, is it, this, this has to be an LOL. Come on. Uh, so, um, in our day where we are so connected with technology, it seems we are less and less connected face-to-face. Uh, I think even... Uh, really starting with the TV, kind of took us all indoors and, you know, the, the architecture of, uh, you know, 50 years ago, you'd build a lot more front porches because you're expected to be out on the front porch and you're going to interact with uh, people walking by and now it's a little bit more, you know, decks and family rooms. But whatever, whatever that, we need to be in each other's lives. We, we've become private and protected and less face-to-face personal with our dwelling places, I think, as well as our time. Paul stayed through the winter. Where do you stay? Well, actually, we know where he stayed because he was in Corinth when he wrote our letter of Romans. He's in Corinth, and in his greetings at the end, chapter 16, verse 23 of Romans, he refers to Gaius, host to me and the whole church. So Gaius was this hospitable guy who said, come and use my home. Maybe he was wealthier, had a bigger upper room for the meeting if the church needed that size, but he he hosted uh, Paul, it seems. Have you ever hosted a missionary in your your home? Uh, Overnight or weekend or a week? Would you be willing to do something like that uh, on a longer term, maybe if if, uh, even a, a family or member or friend needed longer term help? I know some of you have done those things. For others, it's, it's a, 
kind of a stretch to think about. Uh, it's one thing, you know, you can take talkative Aunt Hilda for a weekend at the, at the house, but to live with her, I don't know. You know, there's reasons why this is difficult. Have you had a missionary to your home for a meal to hear what God's doing in their life? Have you had, do we, do we seek to, to reach out to, to people to just get to know people in the body in a, in a, in a closer way? Um, there's something about being in someone's home that is even much closer than sitting by them in a Bible study for 13 weeks. You can, you, it's one thing to, to, to sit there and study the Word of God. We, that's important to grow and you can discuss things. But something about being in someone's home that, that it kind of expose a piece of yourself and you give in a different way. And so if hospitality is a lost art, uh, it, 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 it needs to be found. And you, we need to kind of relax and not... The cobwebs don't have to all be out of every corner and you don't have to have a steak dinner. Um, it can be ice cream after an event or something, or spaghetti, you invite the parents because your kids are playing anyhow, or, or, or whatever it is, but just where we get a little beyond our, our comfort zones to, to be better connected in that personal way. So he was asking for their hospitality, and he also was asking at the end of verse 6, uh, I think for her, directly for financial support. So that you can help me on my journey wherever I go, meaning wherever I go next, I'm going to be needing, needing money for that too. And, and kind of sprinkled throughout the letters of Paul, you find some of these references to, to, his, to those who financially supported him. Philippians 4 is one of the key ones where he says, you know, God has used finances in my life. He says, sometimes he was teaching me how to be content because I didn't know where I was going to get any more money and I was hungry. Other times God has taught me his blessing because I was so fully supplied, you know. So that's maybe your personal story uh, as well, that you've experienced both kinds of, you know, lessons from the Lord. But Paul is anticipating their help. He would need food for his journey. Maybe, I don't know if he ever stayed at inns where he had a fee, if, if there wasn't some Christian to host him or the team or um, supporting missionaries. Open Door supports uh, missionaries and mission organizations, a few of them, but mostly it's missionaries. The primary part of our, our giving to missions as a church family is to uh, sent missionaries, we call them, those who are uh, members sent where the, where the home church. Uh, approximately 20% of our budget, so a dollar out of every five that you give is going to ministries outside of, of this local ministry. But I know that we don't, we cannot fully pay a salary for all those that we send, so they depend on a few other churches and really so much from other individuals. So we would really encourage you to make sure that you have personal family uh, missionaries because, a couple of things, not just because they need it. Again, it's not just about fundraising, but you will be most connected to those that you support in some financial way. And by being connected with them, you're more likely to have them over when they're around the area, and your family will understand missions. Your children will understand missions and missionaries and mission work a whole lot uh, better. I know it's been a blessing that, uh, I mean, Priscilla and I, we, first year of marriage, which was a few years ago, we started supporting our first missionary family, and actually we still do. They're now in retirement, and God's enabled us to, to help uh, others as well as, as part of a personal uh, connection to missions. So if you are interested in learning more about that, you can contact the office here, Pastor Nate leading our, our missions team to, to maybe know where some of the particular needs are. 
and realize we have some of our own missionaries that are, are among us rather regularly right now. Uh, Doug and Nancy are back and forth in the, in the area. And so, why don't you guys raise your hand there? You're okay. Uh, and Nikki Schultz is, is doing uh, missions work overseas, but remotely from our area. I don't think she's in the, this service this morning. Uh, but Tim and Sis Keefe are, are here with us, and, and that's a, a, they're going to be part of next year's uh, budget. So they are kind of from, starting from the from, from beginning to raise support to, uh, to go to Paraguay. And so you might want to be considering getting on, on their team as they get uh, launched as well. I know they've had a number of people over to share, to get to know people, and uh, you might want to invite any one of these to just get to know them, whether or not you support them, but, but you will be more connected if you uh, make the intentional effort to do so. Well, finally, Paul ends with communicating his immediate plans. Verse 8, I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. <laughs> Here's why he's staying at Ephesus. Because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Does that sound like a contradiction? A great door and great opposition. We talked about this, I don't know, about a month ago, this verse. And uh, it's very reassuring to realize opposition is not contradictory to opportunity. Uh, in America, we have had so much freedom for so long that we might assume that if and as opposition to the Christian message increases, we're thinking, oh, we don't have as much opportunity. No, that's not how the Spirit of God works. So many times, more opposition actually creates more opportunity. The gospel grows often through persecution because people are attracted to what makes you so focused on Christ in such difficult circumstances. This has been a section that he kind of makes his final application about generosity. Dr. Gene Getz, uh, in his 90s now, uh, Christian church planter and uh, author, pastor, statesman really, wrote a book called Real Prosperity, but he, he tells about a missionary, Lyle Eggleston, who um, was a church planter in the country of Chile. And his desire was to plant a church and help them become self-supporting, and then he could move on and plant another church. And he was working in this one particular church, and it wasn't looking too good. The offerings at the church were averaging about $6 a week. And so the prospects of them supporting their own pastor or whatever didn't look too good. But then one rather poor couple, Manuel and his wife, asked Lyle to begin teaching them biblical principles of finances. Uh, Manuel was an out-of-work uh, carpenter, and they were subsisting on selling eggs of their 20 hens. But Lyle, the missionary, sat down with them and began to teach them actually from 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And the next Sunday, Manuel handed Lyle an envelope containing what he said was his tithe. Inside were bills that amounted to 19 cents. It's a fascinating story with a lot of uh, details, but um, in the coming months, as they kept giving proportionally, their hens started to lay more. Someone came by and, and, and bought the manure from their chicken pen. Uh, another story was when their, his wife went to a neighboring town to try to find a good deal on shoes, ran into a, a nephew who actually had a shoe store and gave her a pair, and, and just all these different things that God was doing for them. And the short version is that in, in, in a 
brief period of time, they, they were basically providing half of the church's income. Oh, and then Manuel found work as well. Uh, they were providing about half of the church's income, and others began to hear, and eventually the church was able to hire a local pastor and add on, buy the building they were renting, add on to it, and they had a building of held some 200 people, and Lyle was able to move on to plant a church elsewhere. I mean, this passage is not one of those that talks so much about the promises or rewards or blessings of giving, but you know, God will never be in debt to us. We are, we are always in debt uh, to him who showed us grace through the cross and in so many ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you just would guide us as we uh, learn to give and that as we think of giving, it is not a matter of, of, of guilt or coercion, pressure from others, but that you would uh, stir within us uh, a work of grace in our hearts. To, to experience the joy of uh, letting go of some of those uh, fears that we maybe have financially, uh, just learning to trust you, and then, of course, learning to worship you, that we would give with a, with a real sense of gratitude and, and thanksgiving, and that we would always be thinking of the cross, that though you were rich, you became poor for us so that we in our spiritual poverty could become infinitely rich uh, recipients of every spiritual blessings and to live with you forever rent-free in heaven. Lord, we, we know that you are totally uh, providing all that we have and enjoy now and forever. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.